We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Meris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, his American dream, sports, music, culture, and family life, being a husband, and even being a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Metis wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're going to break down the All-22 film, the coaches film, on the Giants' first victory of the season over the Washington Red, uh, football team. Ooh. And then as we move on, it's going to take me a while to get that one down. As we move forward, might do a little Eagles preview. we got to talk about this game because after the Cowboys laid an egg against the Arizona Cardinals and really just look like a team that will get better on offense as Andy Dalton gets used to the system and better in the system, but have some issues on the offensive line that I don't see fixing themselves with Tyron Smith and Lael Collins on injured reserve, alongside a lot of other injuries that have plagued them on the interior offensive line. So this vision's wide open. I am not probably as confident as Nick is in the Eagles uh, and the Giants beating the Eagles this Thursday, but if somehow they put together a full game for once, in our goddamn lives, <laughs> this division's wide open. So there's something to look forward to. There's something to think about. And there's something to take away from this Washington game that they can build on, on both sides of the ball, I believe. And today, we're going to start by breaking down the offense, as we've done the past few weeks. We're going to break this into two podcasts. We feel like there's too much content for one. We want to keep you guys listening, and we don't want to lose you. So we'll break it down into two. Um, But before we do that, Nick, I wanted to do a little check-in with you. I know we used to do a little quarantine check-in updates. Um, How's life going in the Filato or for Mr. Filato right now. For Mr. Filato, it's going pretty well. And I don't want to be misrepresented. I don't believe that the, the Giants have a chance. Well, they have a chance because it is football, obviously. But I don't think the Giants will win this football game against the Philadelphia Eagles. They haven't won in the link in, geez, it's been probably almost 10 years. I think they beat the Eagles like three, maybe three years ago. Maybe maybe it was 2016. But it's been a while. The Doug Peterson, Aaron, I know this is a new coaching staff, has kind of had its way with the New York Giants in recent memory, unfortunately. But anything can happen, and that Eagles offensive line is very beat up. And I swear, this Giants, I mean, this NFC East is just a division filled with a bunch of beat up offensive lines. 
But we'll get into that a little later. Besides the Giants' offensive line, that's relatively healthy. And no, just... but like they're beat up in the sense that they're not effective. Oh, yeah. I mean, these lines aren't effective. And I didn't mean to cast you in a certain light there. I know you are a realist when it comes to this team. I wasn't trying to say that. I, I just feel like this team has... This team is still not playing the football I want them to be playing. Even watching the Washington game on All-22, I was less impressed than I thought I would be. They, they, they should have won this game by a lot more. They really should have won this game by a lot more. And it, it to me, it's just I, I I'm gonna get excited for this for this Eagles game, and it's gonna be an opportunity for them. And I want them to keep growing and building, and we'll get to that in the All-22. But I am a little, I am strongly disappointed in Dave Gettleman for what he's put out there in year three because this was such an incredible opportunity for them. The Eagles are incredibly beat up with injuries. The Cowboys are incredibly beat up with injuries. And the Washington football team has arguably a worse roster than even what Gettleman put out here in year three. So this was a prime opportunity for this to be a 2016-like season for the Giants, but for it to be wrapped up by end of Thanksgiving where there are three or four wins ahead of the division because the division is just so bad. But the reality is he put together a really, really, really bad roster. And they're doing their best because Patrick Cram's a great coach. And Daniel Jones is trying to hero ball them with really not much talent anywhere on offense. But it, it just it frustrates me when I, when I look at the roster, when I look at people like Andrew Thomas not playing well and, and things along that nature. It's a lot of players underperforming as well. And I'm not sticking up for Gettleman by any means. I tend to agree with you. But those are his players. Yeah. No, it's a lot of players underperforming. I do also feel the injuries have taken into account players that we haven't even seen yet. Guys like Xavier McKinney, obviously Saquon Barkley. I think Sterling Shepard will be important to this offense. But on the whole, yes, you are correct. These offensive linemen that he's drafted have not lived up to it. Some of the guys he's brought in have not lived up to it. These wide receivers aren't good enough to help elevate a second-year quarterback in a new system. And that's been problematic for the New York Giants on the offensive side of the football. And as for the defense, I think they lack in the edge position. I think that's pretty obvious. But I think there's more defensive talent on that roster than maybe we acknowledge sometimes. And I think it's maximized by excellent play design and play calls from Patrick Graham. Yeah, I think I would I would tend to agree with most of what you said. I would think that on the defensive side, it's probably a little bit more coaching than talent. Still think they're missing a lot of key. I mean, the missing edge. not yeah, having a yeah. single edge who can win one on one is really bad compared to the rest Agreed. of the NFL. But I also don't feel like they have unbelievable talent at cornerback two or three in the nickel or on the boundary. I mean, you watch a guy like Murphy for for Arizona play last night, and he just plays unbelievable ball there against the Cowboys and he was taken by Aaron Murphy a few picks after DeAndre Baker imagine having him in the slot right now no offense to Darnay Holmes solid player okay player you know maybe something better along the lines but and he hardly played in this game and exactly and how good is he if he's missing games like that you know if he has a game where they look at it and game plan wise like this game Patrick Patrick Graham was like Darnay Holmes doesn't need to play on this game. He won't put him out there. So instead they go with other guys. You know, Ryan Lewis, he's a player who has played a little better than we expected, things along that nature. But I, I just look at a guy like Murphy who was taking a few picks after Baker. And I look at some of the linemen who were taken after Will Hernandez, Braden Smith. I look at Wyatt Teller on the Browns. You're, you're not supposed to hit all of these. And you obviously know the Fred Warner, BJ Hill. You're not supposed to hit all these. I'm not going to be a full guy like Gettleman should have nailed every single one. But when you stack up all the misses he's stacked up, it leads to the position that he's in. And again, this is not a team that drafted in the middle of the pack or at the end of the pack of drafts. This is a team that had top six draft picks on each round in three straight years and this is what they've done on the roster and agreed there are some injuries we'll get into that as well um but overall i I, i'm interested to hear what your take is on both sides of the ball after watching all 22 because i have some strong opinions and and we'll see where we go so let's let's get that going now let's talk a little less big picture and a little more specifics here with the giants and we'll start on the offensive side of the ball the Giants actually only had 48 offensive snaps in this game, so a little less film to work with there. It was a weird game from that sense. I guess Washington did a better job than the Giants of controlling the ball. I think the Giants also, by nature, will be a team that generally is going to have fewer offensive snaps than other teams because they really like to grind out drives. It's the whole nature of the offense. Um, so in this one, you kind of have no real major surprises. When C.J. Board went out, it was a little more Austin Mack. They got Caden Smith a little bit involved in the mix, but then you have the big surprise and that was Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert essentially splitting snaps at left tackle in the end Matt Pert had 26 snaps at left tackle Andrew Thomas had 23 snaps at left tackle 
I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. I don't know how much of it has to do with that missed meeting, whatever it may be, but I do want to start there because if you're looking at the offense, there's not too many major surprises that went down in this game. I mean, you could talk about Devontae Freeman, but he's taken a strong, strong lead on that running back job anyway. Obviously, Wayne Gallman didn't get as involved in this one for whatever reason. I like Gallman. They may not like him as much, clearly, by the fact that they signed Freeman. So obviously, you got Freeman there. We can talk about that. But the real key thing here is the Pert Thomas. So let's start there. I want to start with your evaluation of Matt Pert in his first real time. Because remember, for those of you who don't know, Nick writes for Big Blue View um, alongside other places. And on Big Blue View today, actually, when we're recording this on Tuesday, Nick did a full film breakdown of Matt Pert's first start with the New York Giants against the Washington football team. So let's start there, Nick. What did you see? So firstly, Joe Judge has come out and stated that Thomas was benched initially because he missed the meeting. It wasn't for the play that he's put on the field that has been, to our estimation and to most people's estimation, lackluster, to say the least. But as for Pert, I feel like he did much better against the run than I expected. He was holding up at the point of attack, resyncing his hips, resetting his anchor in pass protection. But the thing about his pass protection was the Giants ran so much quick game and so much misdirection type of plays that he really never had to vertical set or really be put on too many islands against Montez Sweat, who was the player he was lined up against the majority of the time. The one touchdown pass, actually, on the blitz that Washington brought the touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. He actually got beat around the edge. I thought he did a good job using his length to just get enough of Montez Sweat after Sweat kind of clubs his outside arm down. He doesn't allow his momentum to fall forward. He kind of has that hand strong, and then he's able to just get enough of Sweat to slow him down so Sweat doesn't just annihilate Daniel Jones. I think that could have been a really bad play there, but he just got enough, and that's all you need in the NFL. So that was probably a rep that is like, okay, there were some technical flaws there. But other than that, I feel like he has smooth feet. I don't feel like he packs that big of a punch, to be honest. It's something I noticed at UConn in pass protection. He's a little bit more of a, he establishes his contact. He's very active with his hands. He's very good handling hand counters, using hand technique in those kind of ways. I saw that several times with Montez Sweat, with his inside arm, with his outside arm in pass protection. And in the run, he executed a couple reach and scoop type blocks where he had to kind of block down on the three technique, get his hips in between a hole and a three technique. And he did that really well, which is a really athletic play. It's a tough kind of block. And he's helped by Will Hernandez, who chips and climbs to the second level. So he was really good with Will Hernandez on combo type blocks, which is something you want to see. We're not sure how many reps he's had in practice with Will Hernandez in practice against the Giants and things like that. So he was able to do that in a couple different reps, and it looked really smooth. It looked really good. Obviously, has a very high pad level naturally. So he kind of has to focus on sinking himself. But I thought overall, it was it was good. It was it was a uh, positive for me. I came away thinking that he played really well. Now I want to touch on one other thing that I talked about a little bit on the last podcast, and that was the interception, quote unquote, that Daniel Jones threw to the Washington football team. And I mentioned in the last podcast that he may have missed an assignment. And after rewatching it and talking it over with friends of mine, I think that was the play design. And I hate that play design because it's a play action. And obviously on play actions, you want to sell the run fake. So you want to create double teams to make the defense think that you're running the football. But in doing so, you're essentially leaving Caden Smith to block an unblocked Chase To come across the line of scrimmage and then make that block. And if that's the case, now it seems like Will Hernandez on the play, I'm not even 100% sold that that is the case, but I, I tend to lean that way now. I tend to think that that's a very stupid play design, if that is the case. Now, I'm not 100% sure, like I said before, but Will Hernandez did look really surprised when Matt Parrott kind of doubled on that play. Damn, that is a difficult blocking assignment to give to Caden Smith there. And that was a big reason why that interception happened, because Chase Young obviously runs right through Caden Smith. He does as much as he can, but what are you going to do? And Daniel Jones doesn't put enough air on it to throw it out of the back of the end zone. That's a terrible play design. And this is the second, if this is the case again, that's the second play design that Jason Garrett has used in the red zone that led to an interception that I just cannot wrap my head around. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to start with what you said last, which is... 
that's the second play design that led to disaster, but there have also been some unbelievably bad play designs. Um, the the one where they settled for, I, I had so much pain rewatching that Red Zone series where they, on third and goal from the eight, they used an unbelievable call, I thought, which was the Daniel Jones shotgun draw, uh, even though Nick Gates, for some odd reason, doesn't block his guy into the end zone, which would have cleared a path for Jones to kind of barrel in, dive forward, and stick out the ball for a potential touchdown. But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates you will see fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I don't know about you guys or gals, I love to sit there and drink some Pepsi when I watch the New York Giants possibly win a football game. It's all great. If you got yard work to do, oh, quenches your thirst. Amazing stuff. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watchers. But then that decision, obviously, I'm never going to be on board with, which is kicking the field goal from the one and a half. If you're going to make that QB draw call on third and goal, you better have a fourth down play in mind for one and a half yards. But before that, Garrett tried an inside middle screen in the red zone just an ugly looking play it's almost impossible for a middle screen to work in the red zone there's so much congestion in the red zone due to the nature of what the red zone is all about so when you try a middle screen it's almost destined to fail it did fail and then he ran into a heavy box on the next play on a zone read looking type play with Devontae Freeman for negative one so Jason Garrett's red zone woes have been the most transparent to me my main concern with Garrett as I've said before and I'll say again is I don't buy into his offensive philosophy as a whole but in the red zone is really where he's at his worst I mean you look at this team every single team in the NFL is getting free touchdowns with that push pass in the red zone the Giants haven't called one push pass in the red zone so I mean it's just unbelievable to see him not copy that that's one of the easiest freest touchdowns you can get in the hardest place to get it but I wanted to circle back before we dive into some of the Garrett stuff and the Jones stuff because we're going to get to that obviously Nick I want to talk about the tackle play and I want to start with because we didn't touch on Thomas's reps yet I want to start with Pert so you're right in total he had 15 run block snaps and 11 pass block snaps but I think like what you said is true Um, a lot of these pass block snaps uh, sorry pass block snaps weren't true vertical sets they weren't deep drops on an island that's the nature of the offense that's the nature of the plays he was in for so that's fair. That's true. But if you go subscribe at least to what Pro Football Focus is saying, they're giving him a 93.4 run blocking game, uh, grade on this game. And that's the highest grade you really ever see for a Giants offensive lineman this season or you've ever seen individually. And he's done, and he did it on 26 snaps. And I think you agree with this when you watched it. And I agree with this too. It's not seemingly far off. This is seemingly good, solid grades for what we saw. What he did in the run game and how he wins, I think, is you broke it down so perfectly. 
he is able to use his hands. Somehow he's better with his hands, it looks like, than Andrew Thomas, which I did not expect coming into this season. I was told the opposite. When you watch him on tape, he didn't really have issues with hands. You kind of said it best. He doesn't pack a huge punch, but he's really active with his hands, which is something you don't really see too much of from Thomas for whatever reason. But from what I see from Pert, and again, this is a much more untrained eye looking at this than Nick is. Nick went to the scouting academy. I've picked up a lot along the way. I've learned a lot from Nick. I've learned a lot from people like Nick who have taught me things. And I've learned a lot from studying film studies over and over and over again. But to my eye, he really and truly looks like, and it's so funny to say it like this, but he looks like more of a player than Andrew Thomas out there. He's so much more natural. He's so much more fluid. He really looks more athletic. Like you said, on those scoop blocks, you really see it. It's in the run game where, to me, it really stood out in this game more so than ever because, like you said, it's so hard to judge the pass game right now because Pert didn't get too many of those island snaps that Thomas has been struggling with, truly, more than anything else. It's those island snaps. Um, but when it comes to the run game, man, I, I really feel like I saw a better player in at left tackle when Pert when 74 was in versus when 78 was in. Pert, there was one, I don't remember exactly which quarter it was in, but he was uncovered on the play. So there's no five technique on him. There's no four eye technique on him. So there's no defensive lineman anywhere necessarily near him. So he's able to climb to the second level. So he climbs to the second level, cuts off Jonathan Bostic, number 53's angle towards the ball carrier. And Bostic tries to elude him and he just can't because he's so big and his feet are so smooth and nimble. So he just gets, he gets his outside arm on the breastplate of Bostic, then just attacks basically his inside shoulder and just drives him out of the play. And that has to be one of the reasons why Pro Football Focus has such a good run blocking grade because all the blocks that he was asked to execute the base blocks the scoop reach and the second level blocks the combo blocks they were all executed fairly well and you can go to big blue view you can see i I critique a couple little things here and there but for somebody making his first start he gets a really dominant defensive front and i know people are like oh well the washington football team only got one sack on daniel jones that's also a product of the conservative game plan Okay, that's not a product of this offensive line being excellent. (laughs) It's a product of the fact that, and I know Jason Garrett takes a lot of crap, but it is a product of the the play calling from Jason Garrett and the fact that the Giants wanted to run the football and they only dropped back the pass 19 times. That's why they didn't have more sacks, and that's why they had to stay honest and they couldn't really pin their ears back as much as they really wanted to to rush the passers. No, man, I I came away really intrigued, and that does start with Thomas. I thought Thomas had a couple reps that were that were a little sloppy, not as bad or as egregious as they have been in the, in the past weeks. And there were a couple reps in the run where he blocked down and he paved away like the bulldozer that he can be. So I'm hoping that he takes uh, takes a lot from this experience, learns from it, sees how Parrot does. They bounce a lot off of each other. They have a really good relationship where they can learn from each other and they can continue to build. I mean, Thomas is a young player. I'm not out on him by any means, but what he's put on tape, especially when you juxtapose that next to Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, and Jedrick Wills, it's it doesn't even compare so far this season there's a reason why he leads the league in pressures allowed still despite playing half of this game it hasn't been pretty from andrew thomas but hopefully he can grow from this experience and i really hope that we can get better tackle play whether that means both of these guys starting doesn't like left right side whatever the best combination is because i would like this offense to hopefully grow and be a little bit more aggressive which i do feel like it could it's a sustainable thing if the offensive line does shore up a little bit yeah there's no doubt about it and I go back to what I remember Scout saying about Parrott when he was at the senior bowl and that said he really looked like a tight end moving out there but Mm. he's not a tight end and he's in a full he's a tackle in a tackle body he may have that kind of athleticism smooth movement and nimbleness to him that a tight end has but he can block he can block in the run game he's a technician and we haven't seen it yet, but on tape at UConn, obviously against superior or inferior competition, but he blocked well in the passing game too. So I have good feeling about Pert long term. I've had this feeling since they drafted him. He was arguably my favorite pick. I love the idea behind it. I love the I loved his skill set and his profile. Um, but I do want to not. I want to go a little bit back into Andrew Thomas stuff because I think what you said is true. I think the base of our frustrations here, and I actually have some notes uh, about Thomas that we can get into as well, but I, I think I agree with your general assessment there that he generally didn't have as many bad plays in this game or as many bad reps. Obviously, he played half the reps, so that is part of the reason. They only threw 19 times. That's part of the reason as well, um, but the one bad rep was a really bad one. It was the third and one missed run block that I think really led to his second benching, um, and we'll get to that in a second, but I do want to talk about the overall feeling on Thomas here. For me, um, And for some Giants fans, I know some of you don't share this. Some of you feel 
like uh you know i may be being too harsh it's only six games he's had all this tough competition that all these other guys basically have matched up to too i mean tristan worth last tristan worth last week went out there and allowed zero pressures against zadarius smith and the other smith the preston smith i mean those are two of the better pass rushes in the nfl two guys that gave the giants absolute fits last year when green bay played the giants against nate solder just absolute fits and worth goes out there and he plays an unbelievable game. So part of the frustration boils down to this. You have a GM who was sitting at four in a, t- in a class with four obvious tackle prospects. And instead of trying to do everything you can to trade back, because four is really not a spot that made any sense for any of these tackles, except for Becton and worse, because if you look at the combine, those are the guys. And it's not just the combine. You can watch these guys on tape, and they're clearly more athletic than any of the other, than the other two prospects. Wills, I agree, that was your favorite, and that was probably my safest favorite, because he was the smoothest. But Wills and Thomas were in a different level from an athleticism, and, and in my opinion, an upside standpoint to those two. So if you're going to barrel down at four, decide no trade, you better get it right. You had your choice of the four, and through six games, there's one who clearly is worse than the others. He's given up the most pressures in the NFL, despite playing a half a game less than, than some of these guys. And the other guys have all played really well, except for Becton, who was playing great and then got hurt. So, And, and Wills as well, by the way, is not playing unbelievable football from the our, our big grounds guy at CBS Sports, Josh Edwards. He's also our NFL draft guy. Wills has been pretty good in the passing game. Really, pretty damn good, he said, in the passing game. But in the run game, he still has a, a, a ways to go. And he clearly hasn't been at the level of... Becton and Tom, uh, I'm sorry, Becton and Worfs. But let's dive into this play I was referring to. It was the play where I think it led to Andrew Thomas getting benched. It was the play that I am just so aggravated because it it led to the four. It was the third and one that they didn't get the yard on. They lost a yard. It led to the fourth and two decision where Joe Judge punts from the Washington 38. Literally one of the worst, co- in my opinion, just up there for just horrendous coaching decisions. But okay. I'm fine. I'm over that one. Let's talk about this rep, Nick. Let's go into it. Let's figure out what happened here. What What's the deal with Thomas here? How does he let this happen? So it's a weak offset eye on this play, and the Giants are 22 personnel, so they have two tight ends in, two running backs. So Eli Penny is getting a snap on the weak side, which is Andrew Thomas's side, so he's the backside defender. So all Andrew Thomas has to do on this play is to slightly step play side and then not allow Montez Sweat to win inside or around him. And he steps play side, protects that interior gap, and then gets beat cleanly right around the edge. Montez Sweat tackles Devonta Freeman in the backfield for a loss of one. So this is just a this is just a, an absolute killer on a third and one. You're trying. I first off, I do not like this play call either. It's a horrendous. Play I, call. I, I hate this play call on third and one where you're lining up tight, where you're going up against. Let's give credit where credit's due. This Washington defensive front is incredibly underrated. Yeah. Incredibly underrated. And they have an advantage over a Giants offensive line in tight personnel, heavy heavy personnel type formation. I'm fine with this if you spread it out. Yes. But I hate this play call in this situation. And Andrew Thomas, and honestly, if Andrew Thomas could have executed this block perfectly, it still might have not picked up the first down. Potentially, but I think Freeman can barrel forward. So Andrew Thomas tries to engage, and he just steps too far inside gives up the half man on the outside and literally Montez Sweat just clubs his outside shoulder downward and just easily disengages from him and that's just inexcusable and Devonta Freeman tries to move to the strength of the formation there's a lot of bodies in the area and he just gets tackled by Sweat and then somebody else who maybe he could have evaded if Sweat wasn't hanging off of his back and I do believe this was one of the reasons why Andrew Thomas found his way on the bench the next series and yeah, that's I hate the play call. I really do. And I'm not somebody just trying to bash on Jason Garrett. You know, I try to give him his credit where it's due, and I do feel like Giants fans in general are just totally off the bandwagon. I do think he does some good things, but these types of plays are the ones that really frustrate me because I do not see the Giants winning lining up tight in a third and one where <laughs> they're probably obviously gonna run and they're in twenty two personnel with Eli Penny, who doesn't really get that many snaps. No. It's a very obvious running situation. And Jonathan Allen Deron Payne, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, they're absolute beasts. They really are. Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen tossed Nick Gates to the ground at least four times in this game. We can get into Gates a little later because I think he made a couple really nice plays in this game, especially the one where he pulled and he located a linebacker in space and just annihilated the linebacker. I thought that was an amazing play, an athletic play from Gates. But how many times did you watch this film, Dan? And you're like, oh, wow, what happened? Oh, Gates just got tossed on the ground. That happened several times. It's kind of what we were talking about last week on this podcast. I think it continues to present itself in every single one of these all-22s we watch. It's that Gates 
has some really flashy reps, like you mentioned. We can get into those as well. People are interested, but he has some bad, really bad reps too. So I think ultimately, and this, I came away with this a lot thinking this while watching this run game here, especially as it kind of really tended to settle down and not find as many holes and big plays in the second half when Washington adjusted, it felt like. I tend to come away with this thinking, okay, once again, you're right. Center's going to be a long-term position they're going to need. I'm sorry, a short-term position they need to fix. Gates is fine. Gates is a good guy to have on your team as a reserve guy, and he can step in at center now. He's learned the position enough. And he still flashes that upside that like makes you think if he ever puts it all together, but then there's just too many reps, like you said, where he's tossed on the ground. And I think it all comes back to what your evaluation of him was, what our evaluation of him was this preseason. And it's that, does he have the functional play strength to, pay, to play the position against these types of guys, the Deron Paynes of the world, the Allens of the world? And ultimately, I, he probably doesn't. And, 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 you know, he can probably get to the level he's at now, which is going to be some good, some bad on tape. But really, man, if you want to build a winning football team, you really need good across your five on the line. You just really need it. We, we're we both – this is the reason we like Gettleman at first because he came in and he preached, I'm going to fix this offensive line. That's what I believe in. I believe in an inside-out roster-building approach. And he's done that. He's at least pumped a lot of assets into doing it. He's done a pretty good job doing it on the defensive line with the exception of finding edges. He's had trouble finding edges. Edges are really hard to find. They won a game last year that cost them Chase Young. But on the offensive side of the ball, it unfortunately hasn't been there for him. He's pumped assets into that side of the ball with the exception of the center position. And ultimately, they're still struggling at two tackle spots as of now. And who knows if that will change if Pert works his way into the lineup and at the center spot. So long term yeah we're probably looking at that being another position they need to upgrade for sure um absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. there's one good play though if anybody who has game pass uh the third quarter second and 10 with 13 14 left where a lot of the offensive linemen execute their blocks and this was a nine yard game and actually set up that third and one where thomas blew the assignment that we were just referring to but on this play nick gates gets beat through his inside shoulder, but he does a great job readjusting himself and pushing Jonathan Allen out of the gap, allowing Devonta Freeman to run around just inside of where Will Hernandez kicks out number 94, and Kevin Zeitler picks up a linebacker or a defensive back. I think it was a blitzing safety and clears away. It, it was a rushing attack that we're not used to seeing. Yes. It was a very good play by the New York Giants, and I literally took a step back from my computer after watching it and smiled, and I was like, this is what we should see more often. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And there are some plays that I've seen. There was a play where they had double pullers that went for a seven-yard gain on a first and 10 for seven on a pitch to, or an outside run to Devonta Freeman, Devontae Freeman. And it was awesome stuff to watch, the double pullers, because we were talking about that. It was a little flash in camp. It was saw it on a little bit of the film earlier this season. But it's a play that you like to see. It shows a little bit more diversity to the Giants running game, and it shows a little bit more you know, hope when you see them execute it pretty well. They executed this play pretty well, not as well as the play you just went over. And you should definitely check out the play Nick went over because that looked like a functioning running game watching those guys block, especially when Zeitler picks up that trailing, uh, I mean, that crashing D-back. But yeah, the run game has, has started to impress me a little bit more for sure. I feel like they're coming into their own a little bit there with the exception of some bad reps still from Fleming, from Gates, and from Thomas. Um, but overall, I think with the with that in mind, they're, they're starting to make some progress there, and that's important because as long as Jason Garrett's the coordinator here and he's going to get at least this year, and I believe he'll definitely get next year as well, um, or something we're going to have to get used to or I'm going to have to get used to because I'm not happy about it. It, the running game is going to be a big, important factor here. You even heard it with Joe Judge, who's very much so a believer in stopping the run and running the football as a big function of winning football. Yeah, that play was in the third quarter with 440 left. It was the first and 10. And it's a risky play because you're this is a G lead pulling the center as well. So you're pulling the play side guard outside and the center's pulling. So you basically need that backside guard and backside tackle to block the one technique to the backside and you need everybody else to pin and it's a pin pull concept but the location skills from Zeitler and Nick Gates in space and the ability for Devonta Freeman to force the linebacker to miss because he tries to undercut the play and he just misses in the backfield good job by Freeman the location skills by both Zeitler and Smith are really good and this was a seven yard gain on a kind of exotic play we saw a lot of counter plays last week which I want to touch on this because it goes into the first play of the game yeah yeah which I felt like was really good so a lot of counter plays and that was you pull the H back from the backside and you bring him around so he's kind of that other puller and they did it from YY sets so like double tight end sets and things like that when they were stacked on top of each other 
But this one wasn't necessarily a counter with the, the guard kicking out. It was more of a just, we're going to run this double puller to the boundary and get yardage this way. So I really liked this play. And also, talking about that double count or the counter play, the first play of the game, since they put that on tape, I want to say nine times, right? They put the counter play on tape nine times against the Dallas Cowboys. So obviously, Washington saw that a lot and they were prepped on that a lot. So I like this play from Jason Garrett. First and 10, you have the football and you come out and you have that similar set. So you're showing the football team exactly what they have seen throughout the entire week of prep. And then you build a play action off of it. And I love this. They, they go the play action counter. They motion CJ board. Play action counter. Caden Smith doesn't come across. And he just goes right into the flat. Daniel Jones bootlegs, rolls out. And Evan Ingram is wide open on this play. And if Daniel Jones threw this a little bit sooner... I was just going to say, I want, I have this written in my notes as the first play I wrote down. I mean, I thought, brilliant play call by Jason Garrett because it went you over. My my take here is that Daniel Jones missed this one because mm. Evan Ingram, when you watch it on the All-22, yes. it's a touchdown if Jones throws this early. I mean, it's tough because he's rolling to his right for sure. He's not going to throw from a... He wouldn't be able to throw this from a balanced base like he ultimately does because it looks like he ultimately steps into a position. But that's the kind of post-snap awareness that not not awareness post snap i guess processing that if it comes a little faster and he just plants his back foot and lets this ball loose and puts it upfield more than toward the sideline it's a touchdown ingram has shown enough on film from that second and third gear standpoint that there is no chance that the trailing safety who's playing middle of the field closed is going to catch up to him he's gonna catch it turn up field and he's gone so it's a touchdown loss unfortunately but the good news is it's an incredible play call by by Jason Garrett. Yeah, you know, 21-yard gain, two to open. Yes. And on that drive, the Giants drove the football right down the field. And, yes, they couldn't punch it in for six, which is something we're too used to as Giants fans. But they're able to get the field goal, and they looked really good while rushing, rushing the ball and throwing the ball on that drive. That was the one drive where on third and eight, Daniel Jones was sacked by Ryan Kerrigan. And we're like, oh, geez, how many of these are going to happen? It ended up being mm. the only sack of the game. Yeah, no doubt. There's a few other good offensive plays I want to go over. I really liked the third and five on that first drive, where it was 621 in the first quarter, for those of you following one, third and five from the Washington 23. There's a reason I like this, because we talked about it last game, and Washington crowds the line, and they end up sending an extra blitzer, I believe, or two. They're blitzing Daniel Jones here. They're blitzing him pretty heavy here. And it's just such a good example of what Jones does that makes us still see that player in him. I mean, there's a lot of things he does that make me see a player in him from his athleticism in the open field as a runner, from his ability to consistently beat people who blitz him because of what he's able to recognize pre-snap. And when things don't change on him too much post-snap, and especially when teams are in man, he really is an excellent quarterback prospect. And thirdly, his touch and his ball placement and then his arm talent. As I've always said, and I had an awesome discussion and did an article on this when I was working with 24-7 Sports with Trent Dilfer about the difference between arm strength and arm talent. Arm strength is the ability to chuck a ball 85 yards like Josh Allen can do. That's awesome to have, but it's not really important in the NFL. Arm talent is the ability to change your trajectory on your pass, to put the certain type of spin and touch necessary. And on this pass, he changes the trajectory, he changes the spin and the and the, and the arm angle to really get this ball over the top of the trailing defender on Deion Lewis who shoots out of the backfield and then hits Lewis in stride with perfect ball placement. So he turns this into, instead of maybe three, four, five, yards right at the sticks Lewis turns it into a 10 yard gain so I love this play by Daniel Jones absolutely he also motioned Deion Lewis who was split out wide he motioned him back into the backfield condenses everything Washington sugaring the a gap so both their linebackers are tight on the line of scrimmage in the a gap and then there's one DB showing blitz and all Deion Lewis has to do is kind of outrun that DB and that DB kind of comes in on a blitz sees Deion Lewis leak out and then tries to get in position to make a play but Daniel Jones throws a perfect pass over the top of both of the players Deion Lewis catches it and scampers for about 10 yards to pick up that first down so it was a I like that from a mental standpoint for sure as you alluded to before there were a lot of good things on Jones's part from a mental standpoint as far as it comes to I I love the plays where he motioned where they were empty and he would motion the running back in and then pick up a nice six seven yards free in the run game did that a couple times with Devontae Freeman and then just in general with Jones it's really exciting to watch him in the open field as a runner this is something the Giants have worked in 
much more often in Jason Garrett's system than in Pat Shermer's system. Even just through six games, we're seeing him run the football a lot more than he did in his in his uh, rookie season. He had 74 yards to lead the team. I believe it was on seven carries. One of them that really stood out to me was a third and four from the Giants 31 with 13-34 left in the third quarter. And Jones keeps the ball, and he's dead to rights. Number 54 has him dead to rights, but Jones uses a little dead leg on him in the open field fakes like he's going outside with the dead leg cuts it back inside and this is actually not a design run it's one of those plays where the Giants offensive line just absolutely collapses on itself and Jones is forced to scramble dead legs 54 in the open field and turns what would have been a two or three yard loss with a less athletic quarterback into a first down gain to keep the drive alive and to avoid having to punt at a time where they can't we've seen this time and time again this season and less so, but at times as well last season, Jones' ability to save drives with his legs by running the football. And that ability is not due to him seeing man coverage and just running into open space like some quarterbacks do. It's that he's really athletic and has unbelievable lateral agility for a quarterback. As you remember, he wasn't the guy who blew out the combine from the 40-yard standpoint, even though he did show what looked like no doubt better than 4-6 speed <laughs> on that 48-7-yard run. That looked like 4-5 speed. You look at the D-backs on all 22, and they're barely barely catching Jones, even though they have the angle on him on that 47-yarder. But really what stood out about his combine was his three-cone. It's the agility. He was a former basketball player, former AAU basketball player. He's a very, very, very good athlete. Remember, there was that one coach who said, should he convert to tight end, which is absolutely absurd. But the point is, they wouldn't even make that suggestion if they didn't like his ability to move laterally. And that's something that really stands out to me time and time again when I watch film, uh, film of Jones. Something interesting about that third and four play too. So Andrew Thomas gets beat pretty bad by Montez Sweat, which is one reason why the pocket ends up collapsing. It wasn't as egregious as some of his other ones, but he gets pushed back basically into Daniel Jones by a long arm bull rush from Sweat, who's a very underrated pass rusher. But Golden Tate, you could tell they the Giants are really trying to protect Cam Fleming because they did this quite a few times. They line up a wide receiver tight to Fleming and he's tasked to chip Chase Young on that play to try to limit Chase Young, slow him down just a little bit. Don't give him a free rush against someone like Cameron Fleming because that's not exactly something that you want. But on this play, Yes, Jones pulls off an excellent stanky leg to juke out the defender. But Golden Tate runs a slant behind the linebackers. He looks pretty frustrated on the play. And I saw this on the All-22. If you watch the All-22, remember this is the third quarter, third and four, 13-34. Golden Tate is kind of crossing between the linebackers in zone. And he sees Daniel Jones take off. And then Golden Tate throws his hands up in the air. And I was like, hmm, that's odd. And then he goes to try to like block the safety who's coming in at Jones, misses the block, and then... And then the safety ends up giving Jones a huge hit and getting that unnecessary roughness penalty. And then Jones throws his hands up in the air again to be like, hey, where's the penalty on that? Luckily, there was the penalty. But I thought it was um, a little odd that he just threw his hands up in the air like that. I think Golden Tate is extremely frustrated with his situation right now. He's a player who has been underrated, really, until this year where he's not playing his best football over the past four years, he's been extremely underrated. He's been incredible in the open field. He catches everything that comes his way. He makes a lot of tough catches. And he made a really tough catch over the middle to keep a drive alive in this game, by mm-hmm. the way. And he did that all last season. But when he came to the Giants, and we've said this before, but we'll say it again, he said he was tired of losing. He's a guy who knows he only has a few years left anyway in his career. He expected different things from this franchise, I think. I really do believe that. And they haven't been able to live up to what he was hoping for. But that's no excuse for some of what we've seen. Obviously, we're not seeing a player who's playing up to his capability unless this is just what he is now. Maybe he's just washed. I don't know really what he is. He's still making a hefty. It's not like the Giants picked him up at the end of some five-year deal he signed with the Lions or some other football team. They gave him a new deal where he has $10 million he's making this year, I believe over $10 million. So he really should be playing up to what he's being paid. I'm not sure I've seen that. But I know he's having trouble with what his role is in this offense, what this passing game is all about, because this is not a good passing game. There's no way to look at this passing game and call it a function, high-functioning passing game. He also doesn't look like spry anymore. No, he doesn't look spry anymore, but he might look spry if this was a spread-it-out passing game that actually functioned a lot better and threw the ball for more than 160 yards a game or whatever the heck it is. I mean, Daniel Jones right now is the only people who have thrown for fewer yards that have played as many games of Jones, and this is not all on Dickerman on Jones, so I hope no one takes this that. For me, when I'm saying this, this is all on Garrett. I think Jones could throw for five times the amount, through two, three times the amount of yards he's thrown for this year in a different system. In this system, and the way Garrett wants to win these games, and this is not 
not all Garrett too. I'm starting to learn this is I'm starting to learn this is a little bit Judge as well by the way he coaches games. I think this is I think Judge and Garrett have it in. I, they they want a specific type of game. They want to win these 20 to 19 games. The point is though, Tate's not able to really get too involved in a game like this where they're throwing 19 times a game. It's simple as that and he can do things as a blocker, you know, he can do things better in that regard, but I just don't think he's happy with his role in this offense and with what kind of offense they're running. Neither do I. I think it's also a product of the system. I mean, the coaching, I guess, hasn't helped, but you have to coach what you have, and I don't think the Giants have a lot, like I've said several times on this podcast. And yeah, no, he definitely, I mean, from an athletic standpoint, to me, he does look a step slower than even he did last year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I do f- see the frustration. It was entertaining to go back and watch the the Rams game. So I went back and I watched the Rams game after the All-22 because I saw some chippiness between Jalen Ramsey, but I was more focused on the X's and O's. There are so many plays in that game where Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate are pushing each other or just giving each other little subtle shots. Golden Tate tries to cut block Jalen Ramsey towards the end of plays several times. There was so much shade in that game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely insane. But, you know, I would love for him to have one of these, you know, five, six catch, 70-yard for a touchdown type of games against his former team, even though he was only there for like a cup of tea. But that would be awesome if you could do that on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, maybe try a slot vert with him like they hit against the Patriots. I mean, I don't know. It, it is what it is right now in this offense. Um, things are the way that they are. <laughs> the Giants are moving the ball the way they are. But I want to talk a little bit before we move on from the offense because I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to get to here, but there actually are a couple more things. So let, let me first start by saying this. At what point for you, Nick, and we're not coaching, we're not everyday, there every day in practice, let's keep this in mind, but we are watching disgusting amounts of Giants film. I mean, me and Nick watch <laughs> this team like it's, I mean, it is our job and we watch it for that reason. At what point are you comfortable turning the page on Cameron Fleming and putting Matt Pert in this game? That may be at left tackle and then Thomas over to right, or that may be just at right tackle and Thomas at left. But at what point do you take Fleming off the field for Pert? So luckily, both players in college played both sides. They both had had experience on the right and left side. But my main thing would be, I don't think it's super easy to just switch. There'd probably be an adjustment period, and both of these tackles are taking a lot of snaps at left tackle. So it would have to be on the coaching staff to know, and I'm sure they're giving reps to them in practice and kind of seeing how they feel with their pass sets on the right side. But I do think it begs a really, really interesting question on which one of those players will play which side between both of the rookies. I think we should start maybe looking at it after this Eagles game because it's an extended period because obviously they'll have a 10-day break. You can kind of have them, if they are spun up on the right side, you can have them kind of get ready on an extended period of practice to prepare for the next opponent. I think that would probably be the time to pull the trigger, especially if Cam Fleming struggles. So I think I've seen enough film right now that I would be playing Pert and Thomas on all the snaps this Thursday against the Eagles. I'm done with Fleming. I don't, I've don't. i seen enough. There's not enough to like there. There's too much to dislike there. He needs so much help in the passing game. He offers next to nothing in the run game. And Pert showed enough to me in 30 snaps or whatever he's had this season. I believe he had 26 in this game. I can't remember how much he had in the other game where he played that one series against the Rams. But Pert has shown me enough in those 30, 35 snaps that I believe he can't be worse than Cameron Fleming. And I believe, especially in the run game, he can help them a lot to be on the field instead of Cameron Fleming. And yes, will he have some struggles on an island in the passing game? Sure, but does it matter if they're doing the same thing that they're doing with Cam Fleming right now with Pert by just giving him so much help? Will it matter as much? I don't know. It all comes down to how comfortable he is on the right side or Andrew Thomas on the right side. Andrew Thomas has struggled with his footwork on the left side. So I'm not sure if he's going to be able to just flip the switch and be the be, be able to do this on the right side. That's It, it sounds easy just like talking about it but that's a very difficult thing i don't mean to trivialize that i know what you're saying entirely but it's it's not i just don't feel like what we're losing is like a nate solder even out there i feel like you're losing a a retread guy fleming who had a couple good seasons with the patriots because he had the best coaching staff in football the patriots that somehow make every single offensive line going into this week the patriots had the third best offensive line according to football outsiders and i think it was like fourth pff and they've had like four injuries on the line it's just the coaching there's phenomenal but with the cowboys fleming was pretty trash um, so this is not some guy that I think is taking him out. I, I really don't think he's doing enough good that some bad, you know, Pert adjusting to right tackle or Thomas adjusting to right tackle is enough to hold it back. Uh, I get that. But uh, yeah, Dante Scarnecchia is not even up in New England anymore, which is insane to think about because he's one of the best offensive line coaches. He retired. But for me, it comes down to confidence with these young kids. 
I don't think if they're not ready to play on the right side, you want to put them on the right side, you know, on a big stage and have them absolutely flounder because their sets are not nearly as good as they could be. Because I do feel like the, the human element comes into it. And if they get out there and they're just getting abused and the defensive end and the edge player are just talking trash to them and they're just being embarrassed, that's a horrible thing for the kid's psyche. And I think Andrew Thomas's psyche in particular is already probably being affected. I'm not saying that he's mentally weak or anything like that, but he, he knows. He's in those film rooms. His coach is on him. They're talking about it. The press is all over that. The media is all over that. So if they're not equipped right now to handle right side pass sets and right side hand technique and everything that would be flipped then I, I think there is some risk there yeah I, I mean I could see your point of view 100% I always tell I, I think we've talked about that before and we've agreed entirely on this people act like you know the transition from college to the NFL tackle and just in general playing tackle is so hard it is but having said that I just don't I, I, I'm still down to do it because I don't feel that they're losing much with Fleming and I don't feel like the bad reps you would get from Pert it's an interesting dilemma with the confidence thing. I can understand that for for sure. But um, just for me, I, I'm ready. I'm past the point. I want to see what Pert can do to help this offense in the run game versus Fleming. Um, and just unfortunately for me, there's just not enough good with Fleming. No, yeah, no. I mean, I, I feel like earlier on in the season against the run, I saw a couple times yeah. where he was able to move bodies, where he was able to position himself well. He was able to react to what the defensive lineman was doing. If he went inside, he'd pin him against the guard. If he tried to take an outside loop against the run, he did a good job positioning his body in between himself and the blocker. And he's obviously a really big guy as well, which does help him out. But yes, there there have been a lot of reps that have been on tape where it's like, oh, we need to upgrade from this guy. Yeah. It's just, it's not. there's not a perfect solution as of right now on the roster in terms of if these guys aren't spun up on the right side. For all we know, they could have been taking snaps with the second team on the right side or on the scout team on the right side the entire training camp, for all we know. We, we don't, though, because we're not in the building. There was actually this one really nice throw from uh, Daniel Jones against zone coverage, built out the play action in the, in the third quarter. First and 10, 5-15. I just wanted to kind of highlight it. I thought it was an interesting play design because it was a first and 10. They just picked up the third and one, and it was a play action deep shot with Austin Mack running a deep post and then Darius Slayton running a deep dig from a tight stacked alignment. And it totally, Austin Mack was able to cover a lot of ground and he was able to take that middle of the field safety because they were in cover three, the Washington football team. He was able to clear out that middle of the field safety. And since Washington was in zone in cover three, the cornerback had outside leverage on him giving away the inside leverage there were two flat routes which sucked up all the underneath defenders and Darius Slayton found a really nice spot in between both of the safeties and Daniel Jones delivered a perfect ball through him open through with anticipation and I wanted to highlight that from Daniel Jones because there is a lot of talk about him struggling against zone coverage and this is obviously probably helped by the play action you could say but at the same time he has to do the play action reset his feet see where Darius Slayton is, see where all the defenders are, have accountability of all those defenders, then fire a perfect pass in stride. And he did all those things, and I like that. Yeah, that's a great play. You guys should definitely take a look at that one. First and 10, Washington 47, with 5.15 remaining in quarter three. It's a great play for multitude of reasons. One, Jason Garrett's calls play action. I wish the Giants had about, I don't know, 30 to 40% more play action passes designed in this offense. And like you said, it plays into a role why this works. But two, I really liked watching Mac run this route. It really looked like Mac had a lot more speed than he's tested on to, on this clear out route. He really gets that space open. And like you said, great job by Jones. Anticipation against zone here. He throws Slayton open. What you want to see from Jones, what you want to see from any young quarterback developing in the NFL is the ability to throw anticipatory football. That's all it comes down to. When you start getting the anticipation game down, especially when you have the mechanics, the upper body mechanics that Daniel Jones possesses because he really has been taught really, really well there from Cutcliffe. I mean, you watch him throw the football. There's very few times where there was a, I believe there was like a couple, maybe one pass where I thought the ball placement wasn't there in this game, one or two, and that's pretty consistent with Jones. Most games when he's set and not under heavy pressure, the ball placement is pretty solid throughout um, the game. And so again, like I said, I, I think this is a really good play to highlight some of the progression Jones has made. For sure, and they used Austin Mack on a couple deep posts, something that they kind of stressed doing on the third and five in the second quarter with 8.57 left. The Giants came out with a mesh concept with Deion Lewis running a wheel, and then they had, it was a three-by-one set, so they had the number two receiver, which I believe was Colton Tate, run a deep dig, and then over top of that, they had Austin Mack running deep post, like a Mills type of concept, and that deep post, if, see, Daniel Jones dumped it off to Evan Ingram, and I thought it was probably the... 
the wise move just because it was a third and five and the pressure was kind of closing down on him. But if he had a little bit more time, Austin Mack would have been open for a touchdown on this play. Yeah, he has him. He has him there. He does. And that's a good route by Austin Mack. Again, outside leverage. They're playing outside leverage. They want to play this cover three type of This is one of those times where you just wish the offensive line could hold up and just give this man one clean pocket, right? If he gets one clean pocket on these deeper type routes plays where, like you said, a Mills concept where you have Mack who creates separation and gets into the end zone on this post. If he just, if Jones just has a fully clean pocket, which never seems to happen. Um, and again, it's Andrew Thomas who gets kind of pushed he, back into Jones. He yeah. gets pushed back. He holds up and he anchors down, but he does get pushed back pretty far against Jones. Jones goes through his progressions. His first read on this play was Dion Lewis. He did not have the leverage. So then he goes right to Darius Slayton and Darius Slayton within the view was the mesh point of the motion mosh of Evan Ingram and Golden Tate. And he just dumps it off to Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram makes a couple players miss, gets the first down. But if he did have a second more, he could have had Austin Mack on that deep post. He had Austin Mack on the deep post. Because that safety gets yeah. sucked up by Darius Slayton's dig route. I like that concept right there. That's a great concept right there. Jason Garrett, write this down. If you're listening to this podcast, we know you're not Jason Garrett. Because <laughs> if you were, you probably would hate us. But this is needs. This stuff needs to be used a lot more. These Mills concept plays, these plays like this. I mean, this is just the type of stuff I want to see early. I want to see it often. I want to see it in the red zone specifically. I don't want you trying to grind out red zone possessions where you grind to a first down at first and goal from the eight and then try to get it in from the eight. I want you to go for 20-yard touchdowns in this on this offense. And this is, you know, this is a, a route concept designed for Austin Mack and Darius Slayton, Nick, and yet they get it. It works. They get open. If they just had better protection, Jones can throw this touchdown pass. If he just has for once in his life a clean pocket, he can throw this touchdown pass. So I just need more of this. I need a lot more of this from Garrett. And I think Jones could have, with the the way the leverage was for number 23, the cornerback, Jones probably could have put the ball by the bottom of the A, and that safety probably wouldn't have been able, since his momentum was going forward, to get back there. And Mack could have flattened his route out a little bit, and it could have been a touchdown, or it could have been to the back of the G as well, because Mack does have that leverage. And I want to stick up for Golden Tate on this play, because we smacked him before when he threw his hands up on this play. Evan Ingram gets the first down. Golden Tate is jumping up and down, pointing forward. So, you know what? Showing that Giants pride there, Golden Tate. You know, I have to shout him out. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I understand Tate's point of view personally. I wouldn't be having too much fun in this Jason Garrett offense right now either um, if I were him. But anyway, definitely another good play to point out. Before we talk into anything else there, anything else we kind of didn't touch on, I do want to ask you the Evan Ingram question because come out, have a great play design for Ingram. It works. If Jones sees it faster, it's a touchdown for Ingram, which would have been a lot of fun. But then he ends up basically not used at all for the rest of the game in the passing game. He had that play. That was his only other catch, the one you just went over. So what's the deal? What's going on with Evan Ingram? I mean, he did play almost every single snap in this game, and yet there's just still no no way to seems from Garrett's standpoint to get him involved more. I don't know what's, what's the deal here. Honestly, I think this game plan was, like I said, very, very conservative. They weren't going to throw the football all that much. But he still is a quagmire. We just don't know exactly why he doesn't get utilized as much. And this is the second coaching staff that we've kind of complained about that with. So I'm starting. But I I don't want to say that because if you look at last season before the injury, he was utilized incredibly well. If you look at Evan Ingram before he went down last year in his second season— in that Pat Shermer offense, where again, pretty sure his A dot was only like six yards. It wasn't. It wasn't as good. I think the first year it was. Uh, but I'm not talking about better. the A dot though, because I'm not saying that Evan Ingram. Need, that's what we want. Obviously, we want the yeah. A dot. But before the injury last season, he had 14 targets, eight targets, eight targets, seven targets, and 11 targets, and he turned those into 116 yards, 48, 113, 54, and 42. I mean, we're not even seeing five targets from Ingram at this point. We're seeing... We, we did, though, a couple we weeks We see a couple ago. of curl yeah. targets on curls. Yeah, with, yeah. With 40... 80% of those are curls. Like, it's just... I don't know what the deal... I mean, he's he's still... I, I don't know, Nick. I just can't put my... I can't wrap my head around what the deal is here because he's healthy. The injuries aren't a concern right yeah. now. And yet, he's not really involved all that much, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see him involved a little bit more. I also feel like the Giants' offense has seen a lot of zone. 
a ton of zone coverage. Now, they don't use him enough down the field to split zones yeah. and to take defenders up right. vertically, but at the same time, it's difficult to do that with the state of the offensive line. But I do feel like if we saw more man coverage, especially with man coverage against smaller safeties or linebackers who aren't as athletic, I think we'd see a lot more focus on Evan Ingram. We just haven't really seen that. All these all-22s, when do we ever see teams line up in man coverage against so the Giants? so rare it's that the Giants use rare. man, man. It's crazy. It, it but is. I feel like one thing I, I wonder if your take is, from all the football we watch, we watch a disgusting amount of football, including now we've seen six defenses outside of the Giants on all 22. I feel like a lot of defenses these days aren't using a lot of man. Not as much. Definitely not as really much as... Really a big change. A real, a real I want to watch the Patriots defense, to be yeah, honest, to see what... And, the and, and Miami's <laughs> defense. All the... All the uh, all the Belichick. Bel- yeah, the Belichick disciples, but I mean, we have not the New York Giants that is used man at all, really at all. It's weird. Like since Chicago, and that's the only. And I think that's kind of a product of the players that. Are oh, on it's a hundred percent a system. Thing. Yeah, and obviously third and short, you're going to see man. You're going to see man yeah. a lot of those type of situations. But as a base, definitely not. No. It's really interesting, and the Giants actually really communicate well in defensive side of the ball in zone, but we'll talk about that on the next podcast. Before we get there, Nick, anything else you want to talk about on the offensive side of the ball before we move on? Not exactly. I would like to see Evan Ingram be implemented a little bit more, but since we said we wanted to mention stuff about Philadelphia, if there's a game where he can get going, it is against Philadelphia, if this offensive line can hold up. Philly has been abused by tight ends. They give up three touchdowns to Tyler Higby. George Kittle, who's George Kittle, took a crap all over the (laughs) Philadelphia Eagles at home. So if there's a game where the Giants can find success with the tight end, I think it could be on Thursday, but it's going to come down to can this Giants offensive line block Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, and the rest of Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, and the rest of these guys because that defensive line is stout. And you know Darius Slay is probably going to be on Darius Slayton, which is cool because the alliteration of that is pretty awesome. (laughs) But I think with the Eagles – on the offensive side of the football for the Giants, they need to target and take advantage of Nathan Gary, who is a safety at Nebraska, who they use at linebacker number 47. I think number 50, I don't know if he played much last game against, um, I don't know if he played much against Baltimore, but number 50, his name's Duke Riley. He was a kid from LSU. He's another one. Those guys are liabilities in coverage, in zone and in man, and they're athletically limited. Not as much Duke Riley, but especially Nathan Gary. So I really hope the Giants kind of have his name circled because Jim Schwartz keeps trotting him out there. And I know they play a lot of zones. So you got to high-low him, and you got to take advantage of him. Try to get Evan Ingram in that zone, and yeah. try to have Evan Ingram make him miss, and then get him the ball in space because we know he can make plays when that happens. It's just they've struggled to get him in those situations. Yeah, and while the Eagles haven't beat up as bad on the defense side of the ball, you're 100 percent right. Those are liabilities that you guys should be focusing on in this game, and they're just not the same defense in my mind from what I've seen. Uh, without Malcolm Jenkins and I know Jenkins was kind of on the back end of his career but still played such a key role in that defense it kept a lot of things together and made things a lot look a lot better um, so I think that's going to be another advantage for the Giants as well we'll have to see what happens in there because I know the Giants are going to come out with especially on short short rest and short week to prepare it's going to be a similar game plan I wouldn't expect Jason Garrett to come out here and and, and, and really change anything up too much it's going to be pretty similar to what we've seen so they're going to have to block well in the run game which is part of the reason why I would just love to see Pert out there over Fleming but you know we'll see what happens there maybe it'll still be another pert thomas split and i think they can it has get it to going be, right because like parrot's not going to come out there play that well and then she's like you know what parrot ride pine you're done like well i don't think yeah i don't think a ride pine i think it will be again another split type mm-hmm. situation but i just kind of hope that they just take the reps from fleming i just i just don't see much there and i'm just i'm no longer interested in having him on the field he just he hurts he hurts the run game too much i understand that and i'm not looking forward to nick gates fletcher cox (laughs) this is but then again nick gates did okay against aaron donald i know he wasn't always lined up over gates Aaron donald played a lot of five yeah he played a weird yeah yeah, it is very true they tried to get donald upfield a lot well they were just trying to get one-on-ones with him and the giants were and every team was like no we we have to try to mitigate that we're not giving you one-on-one with aaron donald all right thanks again to everyone listening in this is the big blue banter podcast where we break down the all 22 of the football giants and as usual if you do enjoy the podcast uh please do us a favor and share the podcast with your friends share it on social media with your friends tell all the giants fans you know about tag it with giants do whatever you can to help us grow this because if you tell more people and this podcast grows we're only going to be able to do a better job shout out to all the new fans who've been hitting me and nick up on twitter from ireland and from scotland pretty cool to hear from you two from ireland and scotland and i know we've been looking at the downloads which show us where 
people are listening to our podcast from. We see a lot of different people from different countries listening in, which is so cool. And a lot of you have said the same thing, and that's that you're learning the game of football and you're and you're learning it from us and that just makes us feel freaking awesome so we're going to try to do our best and continue to give you great content as always you can follow us on instagram at ny big blue banter where sean runs our instagram account friend of the podcast sean is the man he puts up awesome stuff on that instagram so check that out please follow us there and as usual if you want to help us grow the best way to do it is to make sure you download every podcast you give us a rating and review on itunes because what i'm finding out now is when i'm asking people who interact with me every day how'd you find the big blue banter i'm curious you're from ireland and you found our podcast and you said literally typed in giants podcast on itunes search and i remember when i started this podcast up with turchin it took us months and i mean months i don't think it happened until filato joined the podcast for us to even be listed on the top 10 of the itunes charts when you search giants and that's because of you guys because you took the time you rated and reviewed us and that's what moved us up that algorithm so thank you to everyone who did that and if you haven't please just do us that favor otherwise we will speak to you soon and you can tune in very shortly to hear our breakdown of the defense on all 22 the wait is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.